Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, and welcome to Comedy Album Book Club. This is Matt, your host, uh, and this week we are chatting with the amazing and hilarious Tracy Hamilton. Uh, Tracy has been on the show before. She was a guest on our episode about Maria Bamford, uh, and uh, this week she comes back for just a one-on-one chat. Tracy is just a good human being. I, I, I can't stress that enough. She is just a kind and awesome person. Um, uh, she is the host of a show that ran for two years at Comedy Bar called Love is Everywhere. Uh, it transitioned into a podcast and you can check it out wherever your podcast needs are met. Um, you can also find her on Instagram and Twitter at Hamiltrace, H-A-M-I-L-T-R-A-C-E. Uh, this week we chat about you know her work as a comedian, a storyteller, and just an all-around awesomely funny person, um, her favorite comedy inspirations, and uh, the world of comedy and, and laughing in general. Uh, please uh, sit back and enjoy this conversation. And please also check out Tracy's podcast. Uh, I do produce it, so I will not pretend I do not have a bit of a bias there. But she just does a really amazing thing that I feel helps a lot of people. And in these times right now, um, everybody can use a little bit of help. All right. Thanks very much and enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to Comedy Album Book Club. Uh, today we're having a conversation with Tracy Hamilton. Hi, Tracy. Thank you for Hello. joining us. Thank you for having me. So, uh, yeah, so, um, you were originally on our um, our Maria Bamford episode uh, okay. and with uh, Jess Grant, and uh, that's how I first met you in real life. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so I'm glad to be able to have you back on the show um, now. Uh, I guess, you know, you were on for Maria Bamford, but do you have a favorite, like, special or comedy album that, that uh, you really enjoy? I, it's really hard to narrow down something like that, I think, for sure. <laughs> but I always, like, 
it's all, it's like when you, somebody says, well, what's your favorite album? I'm like, well, was, yeah. is it from my depressing emo phase in high school or my like angst ridden college phase? Like, you know, how do you know? Like, it's like, what mood are you in at, at one time kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. I think um, there are definitely a few standouts, um, particularly with specials, but I do have favorite albums as well. Uh, classic New in Town, John Mulaney. I think that was such a, a hard-hitting special for me when I first saw it mm-hmm. um, and just really fell in love with his comedy and it's one that I've gone back to over and over and over again like I've re-watched that special countless times I probably have it almost memorized <laughs> at this point. Well, I, the thing I love about John Mulaney is in a way he's bringing back an old-fashioned kind of comedy but it feels as modern and vital now as it did and like I guess the guy in the suit up there like there's the, that distance but at the same time it's like he still feels personal and he's approachable I um you know before the I guess the show before the last JFL 42 or the year before that when he was here I saw him perform that horse in a hospital joke from his last special oh my God, live that joke it was so the, much it was it said it's like it's like this is like peak comedy because he's like you know what he's talking about, but he's doing it in such a delightful way that it doesn't get you depressed. It keeps you up and keeps you laughing and, and cheer, cheerful. But at the same time, it's like delivering this possibly one of the most political jokes of mm-hmm. all of his material ever. Easily. Well, like he usually doesn't even touch on politics and yeah. he handles that joke so well because uh, he talks quite directly about politics without ever naming a name or saying anything directly it's all just implied which in itself says a lot yeah and it's it's like i as as he he's brought that craftsmanship to the table from the very beginning of his his stand-up career such a a precise writer like absolutely no wasted space like everything is just uh like (laughs) and and then but then you watch like his sketches on saturday night live and especially the rejected ones that they're like well he's hosting we'll let him do another one where there are these ridiculous over like the lobster musical number Mm -hmm. that he did it's just like he has a really like silly almost cartoonish sensibility in some of his work outside of his stand-up yes yeah he's an interesting person because he's been so successful in a bunch of different genres now that you can see that there's like a, a different comedic tone to each of those genres for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, yeah, just, just so interesting, the different parts of somebody's like uh, comedy personality and which ones fit better in different formats. Yeah. And, they, and there's, um, he was John, uh, Jim Gaffigan's nemesis on Jim Gaffigan's sitcom. He's <laughs> hilarious though. It's, it's like, it is really just Jim Gaffigan making fun of himself with with John Mulaney as like the the mirror there because at the very end he gets like a a TV John Mulaney gets a TV show on the network that Jim Gaffigan's TV show is on but they're they're like who would do it on that stupid network and it's just like oh so it's like he's he's really game to let like himself be the butt of the joke in the oh, service absolutely. of the he bigger did the joke same thing on crashing yeah playing himself oh as okay. Dylan. Oh, I haven't gotten that far. Oh my yet. gosh, it's fantastic! Like that whole show is amazing, but yeah. Uh, yeah, he he plays himself on it, and Pete Holmes's character is opening for him. 
and uh, he's such a villain and so good at it. It's absolutely <laughs> so hilarious. Uh, I, I think I think one of my favorite things by him too is the sack bunch, the sack lunch bunch too. Oh, so it's just like he's so willing to do just chase the joy of funny you know and he's like ah, when i was a kid i had things that made me laugh i wanted to do something to make kids laugh so i did this and it's mm-hmm. like they just like it, it he let the, he didn't steal the show away from the kids the kids were the the heart of that it's like he's a giving performer you know and that's that's something i find like really inspirational it's like you yeah. don't have to steal the limelight to make it funny you want to serve the funny not not serve yourself kind of thing mm-hmm. so um are there any comedians that you think maybe helped influence or 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 helped you shape your voice uh, when you were starting in stand up? Yeah, I think like uh, it's a weird mix. There's gonna be a weird one in here. Um, but early on, it was uh, Dimitri Martin, mm-hmm. Mitch Hedberg, and uh, Mike Birbiglia. Which is funny because I didn't do storytelling or one-liners, uh, so <laughs> I don't know, like somewhere in between. Like most of my jokes are usually like a minute to a, a between a minute and two minutes mm-hmm. on average. Um, so not quite one-liners, not quite stories. Um, and then the weird one is Kyle Cease. Oh, I don't know, you know Kyle. Kyle no. Okay, so Kyle Cease was uh, a pretty successful comedian in like I want to say like the mid two thousands. Okay. And uh, he, he has disappeared now. Now he's a motivational speaker. <laughs> okay. And uh, there was like a big scandal with, well, not, not exactly a scandal because he didn't actually do anything wrong, but uh, no. there was this thing with Kyle Cease around like, I want to say like 2006, 2007, uh, where he was teaching this comedy class. It was like a comedy album boot cut, like comedy class. Um, boot camp mm-hmm. so you would like come to this place and it was like a week-long thing and it was him and another guy I can't remember who uh, and they would teach this comedy class and it was pretty expensive mm-hmm. and uh, so he came under fire from like all like all these other comedians who were being like this is bullshit like why are you teaching this class like you just try to rip people off like I don't know people were mad that he was teaching a class which I don't think is totally valid but yeah. in any case um yeah, he kind of came under fire for that, and then he moved, he ended up moving from stand-up into motivational speaking, <laughs> um, but what was really influential for me with him was that he's just a total fucking weirdo, like, okay. his jokes are so strange, yeah. um, and I, I just loved that. It was sort of like the same thing that's appealing in the weirdness of something like Comedy Bang Bang. It's sort of I, like an Emo Phillips kind of vibe. Like just so yeah. strange. He had this one bit that I think about all the time, which was uh, him at a piano. And this wasn't even in like, I think he had only one special, but I found him like uh, through MySpace, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that, that brief period where MySpace yeah. was the arbiter of all cool. <laughs> it ages me a little bit dropping a MySpace reference, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I found him on MySpace and it was this one like 10 to 12 minute video of him in a bar, like doing some bar show, some nothing show. Um, and so he's just like fucking around, like doesn't really care. And he's doing all like these extra silly bits. Mm-hmm. And it, I watched that video over and over again. He, there was a piano on stage 
and it, it wasn't part of his act like he didn't bring the piano but he goes over to the piano at one point and starts doing these jokes with the piano and I think about them all the time he did this long extent of it where uh he would just play the beginning of Elton John songs <laughs> so just like the first couple bars up to the first lyric so he would be like oh like here's my impression of Elton John calling his kids for dinner and then he plays like do 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 hey kids all right so the next one and then like he <laughs> would just do like the first line of all these Elton John songs and then uh he did this long bit where uh it was him talking to um trolley from Mr. Rogers mm -hmm. just the train and it's just him like mashing on the keys <laughs> yeah. trolley sound and he's just having this conversation about uh going to get tested with trolley <laughs> so strange and I think that let me see that like you can be maximum weird yeah in, in it, which I'm not like crazy out there now but when I first started my jokes were definitely in that vein they were very strange <laughs> I, I, it's one of the, the challenges though I mean like I now that I started performing myself I'm very restrained and I think I need to learn to open up more mm -hmm. you know like and, and so I like I'm like constantly like tweaking and fiddling on these little details where I'm like actually I, I need to like broaden that out not necessarily make it a broadly accessible joke but just open myself up to having fun with the moment yeah being a little more silly and letting yeah. loose a little more with what's happening as it goes yeah yeah it's it's you know like you know i look i think back to like people i loved growing up like robin williams was like that where he was just embracing the moment every moment of all time kind of thing and it's it's great to see somebody where uh, i mean i have to definitely check that out. i mean my space is a little yeah, bit hard to I don't get off. Find Kyle Cease videos anymore? I think that you can still find the special he did, which I thought was okay. Mm. But if you can find any like random clips of him that are, aren't don't look like a special, yeah, very interesting. Uh, I have to <laughs> check that out. Now you've opened for some really terrific people, and you performed with them, like Kurt Brownler, Jackie Cation, who I met, who's an yep. awesome, awesome person. Uh, Aparna Nancharla, uh, mm -hmm. Chris Gethard, who yep. is terrific. Um, so as a comedian, um, what have been some of your favorite moments, like just being out there and like performing with these awesome people? Question. I think, oh man, that's really hard. Yeah, I've been very lucky to get to work with a lot of really fantastic people. I was working with them in a very limited capacity, like it was like mm -hmm. one night opening gigs, but but still, uh, oh, there have been so many good moments. Um, mostly what I remember is the people who were really kind. Mm -hmm. Like, Kurt Brownoller is such a good guy. Like, he was just so nice and like, like he's kind of a big deal. And I was like somebody that he'd never met before. Um, and he was so like right there, like asking me questions about myself and like trying to make sure that I felt comfortable and wasn't nervous. Like. Mm -hmm. and uh yeah he was fantastic and then mostly what I remember is like uh the audience is different for these kind of shows right okay. because usually when I'm performing in Toronto it's a lineup of you know between five and eight people uh so the people who are there are going for a show they aren't going for a specific person right yeah but whereas with these shows these people are showing up because they're fans of this particular comedian 
So you really, it's really interesting to see how that shifts the tone of what they're interested in and what they like mm-hmm. and uh, sort of their like um, essence as an audience yeah. is really different. Um, and the certain audiences uh, will be really into stuff that doesn't play very well normally. Like, um, I'm trying to think of an example, like, like a Chris Gethard crowd uh, is mm-hmm. totally down for jokes about mental health, yeah. right? So, like, my joke about anxiety works way better in front of his audience, right? For sure. Um, Cameron Esposito has an amazing audience. Mm-hmm. Her fans are incredible and, like, so positive and so on board with everything. I think that was, like, one of the hottest crowds that I've ever played for True. Um, is her fans. But, and actually, that show in particular, that one would be a very special one because... Uh, she was doing her new hour, which is all about her divorce, which was recent at that point. Um, So it's, I was getting to see it while it was being worked out, right? So still really raw. All these jokes are really new. It worked so well. It was hilarious and like very well done for something that was still in development, especially. Um, But watching her get like really real and really vulnerable Mm -hmm. with this crowd and to be so fresh off of all of these things that she was writing about, that was really powerful to watch. The, like, her giving that kind of vulnerability on stage and then also the way that the audience was totally down for it and, like, yeah. uh, there to catch her kind of thing. It was, yeah, yeah, that was really special. I mean, the, her, her audience have a very intimate relationship with her because she's so out there publicly mm-hmm. with, with her experiences and, and her life and she engages with a lot of her fans a lot. So it's it's a really it, it's gotta be like a very intimate opportunity for like a performer for, to perform for people who probably know as much about their life as as that performer's family yeah, in a lot okay. of ways. That's cool. Awesome. Um for two years you ran a show at Comedy Bar called Love Is Everywhere, uh, which you transformed into a wonderful podcast that I'm <laughs> glad to help with. Um, so what inspired you to combine uh, like self-care and the science of happiness and comedy into like at first a, a, sh- a, a regular recurring show and then the podcast? I think that um, it's just kind of a natural combination of my interests, mm-hmm. if I boil it down to the furthest point like uh personal development and and stuff like that that's something that I've always been really interested in always trying to be a better version of myself and now I put that in different terms I uh I maybe would have said a few years ago uh be a better version of myself now I replace better with happier because I Mm. think that covers the same thing but more to the point yeah uh that I think all of our goals are just us trying to be happier right Mm. anything that you're going after any improvement that you're trying to make to yourself is ultimately just because you're in search of more happiness um so that's a big interest of mine i read a lot about (laughs) that kind of thing in my leisure time um and i uh advise my friends (laughs) using what i have learned so i think it was natural for me to try and bring that into my art in some way um i think that comedians make really good fodder for guests in this particular Mm. arena as well um for a few reasons for one thing because they add levity to it right like sometimes when you're talking about things like self-care or like body image and 
things like that. Um, it's serious stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, we can have these like really open, vulnerable conversations, but have a certain air of levity and humor to it because we're comedians and we can't turn that off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially when we're no, we know we're being recorded. So, uh, it naturally makes it a little bit funny in times, uh, as well. But I think there's something else about comedians where like our whole job is to be introspective, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. To, look at ourselves and all the different pieces of ourselves and uh to reflect on like how we feel about things and and so i think that um comedians take really well to these kinds of assignments we definitely with exception like um yeah. uh not not every comedian is going to sink in their teeth into it that way but i feel like most comedians are very curious about themselves yes and so they welcome an opportunity to do a little more digging mm -hmm. um so they come up with really interesting insights and stuff into these topics uh when i talk to them about it yeah do you, do you find uh there's like one area that a lot of people seem to gravitate towards in the comedy world like when yeah. you because i know you have like these different categories when mm -hmm. you're asking people for for, sh yeah. for shows so i've got a list of like seven categories that uh i think all of the assignments sort of generally fall into almost you could almost look at it like a really broad checklist of like if you've got a pretty good handle on all of these areas you're going to be generally feeling pretty good um so it's things like uh actually i could read out the list and then i'll tell you what uh what ones people always want and what <laughs> ones people never want which frustrates me to no end <laughs> people are very set in their ways yes all right so the categories are uh self-care mindfulness slash being present positive outlook slash gratitude connection with others self-image slash self-esteem accomplishing goals forgiveness of self or others and anxiety or overwhelm okay so there's eight different categories <clears throat> everybody wants accomplishing goals <laughs> everyone it wants to get so to that mad. next level yeah <laughs> it makes me so mad um <laughs> not not really like i still do them and i still think those conversations are valuable but uh i try to limit how many people i let pick that one yeah um because <laughs> sometimes i just remove it outright from the list when i give it to people if i'm not in the mood um because i think that comedians have a tendency to measure their worth by their productivity and i think that, <laughs> that is unhealthy yeah. so sometimes also like i'll kind of uh not quite trick people but you know when people uh pick accomplishing goals and i know that this is an overachiever person who has like a really hard hustle and mm -hmm. is out all the time and working so hard already i don't really think they need my help with achieving more things i don't think that that is what they need from me i think in the realm of accomplishing goals for those people what i need to give them is uh some rest some perspective uh -huh. or some like self-reflection time so i'll give them a category that's sort of in that thing but yeah everybody wants accomplishing goals for some reason no one wants connection with others i th I'd have thought that would be like one of the top ones because like the entire point of you know being a performer is you engage with your audience and That's... you connect with them also like i've been so we've been doing episodes through this whole covid time mm -hmm. um and i thought that oh now's when people now is when people are going to pick connection with others because everybody's isolated and no more people are wanting accomplishing goals <laughs> <laughs> so, it's that, that solution like i it once the lockdown started i didn't stop working my day job my day mm -hmm. job okay well you just work from home now but i still like filled every evening with something because in my back of my head 
everybody's like, oh, now I'll be able to do this or do that. So I think like everybody's like trying to fill every moment, not realizing. They fatigue themselves horribly in this if they're trying to get a bunch of stuff done. Like, uh, yeah, this is, if like, if that's how you're handling it, more power to you and that is fine. Um, But if you are not feeling especially inspired or especially productive right now, that is so not your job right now. Yeah. And uh, you absolutely do not need any to put any more pressure on yourself. If anything, just make the goal being better to yourself in general. Like mm. if all that you've been able to accomplish during this time is that like you uh, cooked more at home yeah. or um, br- paid more attention to the people you love most, you know, yes. like if, even if it was just that, that's fine. That's totally fine. Even if all you did was like, hey, now I floss every day. That's fine. Yeah. I, I, th- I think people have been really, and it's, it's weird because there's been this sort of like push almost in the, the media in a way, just how they talk about all of this stuff. And, and it's sort of like trickled down through social media where people are like, I'm going to binge this show or I'm going to watch all of this stuff or I'm going to read 35 books kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's this, it's like, just be happy, you know, just listen to what you're, brain and body are saying and don't listen to anything outside of that but it's hard it's hard it's like we're also like oh well we got to do this we got to be productive because i'm not leaving my- yeah yeah it doesn't change your your max capacity just because you're not leaving the house kind exactly. of thing now um how have you like enjoyed the jump from the show on the stage to the podcast like how is how's that yeah, it's interesting. I I love doing the podcast. I think like so the format with the live show was that I would oh, if just to break down the basic format of the show in general is I give a comedian an assignment of something that is supposed to boost your happiness, so usually some kind of self-help or personal development exercise. Uh they do that exercise for a week and then I interview them about it and talk to them about how it went. So uh, on the live show, I would have four comedians on. Um, I would get, have given them all assignments. Then I would talk to them about how the assignment went, went and they would do stand-up or improv, etc., whatever their thing was. Um, but the interviews on that show, like we only had 75 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've got four comedians doing a set. You've got, um, you know, the intro of me at the beginning, warming things up. Uh, the in the end those interviews ended up being maybe three minutes each yeah um and uh constantly i would find that there were so many more things that came up in that three minute conversation that i would love to talk more about and with the podcast i get to just really focus in um and have like a an actually in-depth conversation about it and i think that we learn a lot more about why that assignment is valuable Mm-hmm. Um, through that, I learned things about like, oh, I didn't realize that was going to be a valuable thing in this assignment until this person had this interesting perspective on it or things like that. The one thing that I miss is seeing the audience because I'm a comedian and I feed off of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was like there were a few a few months of that show in particular where there was just some kind of really special energy in the room. Like usually it it was vet like uh, given by the comedians and the way that they engaged with their assignments or like things would happen that were like these really special moments during the live show. And I could, because it was in the cabaret room at comedy bar, which is a relatively intimate space. 
I could see most of the faces, at least in the first half of the audience. And I could see when somebody was really touched by something yeah. or uh, where like I'd say some, something that uh, would really affect somebody. Like, you know, if, if the, give an example of something I've said in this podcast. Like if I say like, you don't need to measure your worth by your productivity, like whatever you're doing is fine. I could see in the audience on the face of somebody who really needed to hear that that day. Yeah. Well, and, I, uh, that's a really special thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to a few of the shows, a lot of shows and I've, you know, been able to be lucky enough and up until the lockdown to be at recordings of, of the podcast. And it's like, it's the podcast has helped me be happier yeah. and, and just find peace and, or understand some of how I've dealt with, things that have come up in my life in ways that I like I didn't even see until I sat and heard these like intimate conversations that some of them are tearjerkers you know like some of them are just like heart heartbreaking or heart mending mm -hmm. and it, it's been really it's a really powerful thing and that intersection of comedy and and personal tragedy in a lot of ways it's like it's a healing bomb and it's 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 kind of beautiful to see how people are able to take something that may have been hard or painful and use it to heal themselves and maybe also help heal others. It's really, it's just an amazing experience. I love hearing that. Thank you. Um, now, we're in a bit of a, a weird time right now. Like, so, and a lot of clubs are struggling. Who knows what's going to be like there when we get out. Yeah. How do you think the con uh, the like I mean the big places will probably weather this fine yes. but f for like how do you think it's going to be the comedy world for for comedians coming out of like lockdown and when we start to finally perform again yeah I'm really curious to see like it's it's hard to know what it's going to look like really I think yeah. um smaller venues are going to struggle uh, like a lot of the shows in Toronto don't even happen at clubs, right? Like a yeah. lot of the shows are hosted by different bars and restaurants and stuff that'll have a comedy night that have a separate room. Um, and I think I'm hoping that those venues are able to stay in business because they're mm. affected just as much as the regular comedy For clubs. Sure. They can't be open right now. Um, so we'll see how many places stay alive. Mm -hmm. Um, hopefully they do and they still want a comedy night there because that would be really great but most yeah. of these venues make most of their money from drink sales yes so uh the price of a ticket is sort of irrelevant it's more about bar sales mm -hmm. uh which means that people need to be hanging out yeah right you can't just go in see the show and leave yeah uh they want you to hang out afterwards and and uh buy more drinks <laughs> so uh it's going to be difficult i think to make money after this especially because like a room will fit less people because you have to have them farther apart um in terms of what it's going to look like for comedians i think that because the big places will probably be fine i think it'll be the comedy stage time available will probably mostly go to pros to yeah. start um, because it'll be the established places, and that's fair. Like, oh, yeah, if, yeah. If somebody's gonna get to go back, it should be the people who depend on this for their entire income. Sure. Um, and then I think smaller shows and things like open mics and stuff will come back gradually, which yeah. is gonna be kind of interesting because 
I feel like a lot of people are going to be trying to do new material, but because the little bar show open mics might not be running, where do they have to work out that material? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah. And like the, 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 the zoom shows and Twitch shows, uh, don't have the same vibe. <laughs> they, it's like, definitely different. I think like more than more than maybe any other kind of comedy. I think that stand up is really sensitive. Like mm -hmm. uh, it's a really f I would describe it as like a fragile ecosystem. Yeah. Where like you change one of the ingredients in what makes stand up work, and it's totally not going to work at all. Yeah. Right. Like uh, like uh, it needs to be first of all, indoors, mm -hmm. in a dark room, with a low ceiling, where people are close together, physically close together, Yeah, because you need, like, even a show where you have uh, maybe a lower turnout so people can take up more space and sit farther apart from each other, yeah. they're not going to laugh as much as if they're clustered together, I think, because they uh, are more easily able to see themselves as one thing. Yeah. Like, well, is one it, like, a laugh is, like, it's when you, like, drop a stone into a, a puddle it just spreads you know exactly. so so you get that one person laughing and the other person like oh yeah, yeah. and even subconsciously they're like they accuse them to the funny that yeah. that's in there um so i mean i've been watching a lot of shows like the the zoom shows like comedy bar has been putting a lot on and these yeah this great place that like i'm really looking forward to being able to go back mm -hmm. to and they have a lot of comedians who are regulars there who are amazing comedians, but like, there's not having that audience interaction. Like they, the way I think they have like the closed Zoom thing that they're then Twitch streaming out. So there's not an audience to laugh. And it's these people who are pros who are telling funny jokes, but not having that, that give, that, that take and that return it makes a big yeah, difference. You can see them second guessing themselves, and it's like, because no, you got it. No that joke is good. Yeah, right. Yeah. They have no confirmation of whether or not that worked, whether or not it's going well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it like. I've heard the analogy. I think it's a Brian Regan quote, uh, where it says like, "Comedians are musicians, and the audience is the instrument that we play." Yeah. Right, and the, that's so true. So it's like somebody who's a guitar player just moving their hands as if they're like playing air guitar yeah, versus yeah. somebody actually playing a guitar. Yeah. It, 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 I found like, I, I've been trying to do some shows every couple of weeks, get friends and family and get people mm -hmm. I know who are still, they're not paid comics kind of thing, but like people who've been taking classes with me or people I'm like, I just throw it out to people who are interested to work material. And I leave them, I, I ask all of the people who are in the audience to leave their mics and cameras on because that way it's like that. having like, an audience. Then you can hear at least the people who are participating in the show can laugh. Yes. Having yeah. one laugh yeah. makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. I think it's such an important ingredient even as an audience member. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It, it, like we had um, Todd Van Allen on one show mm -hmm. um, who I was lucky enough to have teach uh, me uh, in second level stand up at Second City. And uh, he turned it to gallery mode and just started doing crowd work. Because this is like this first chance to perform since he, he, he moved out of the city. And he started doing crowd, and it was like, it worked. It was just mm -hmm. like, there, because he's, the, the mics were on, people were reacting, he, he could see their faces. So it can be done. It's just, it's like, it's, it's 
it's just a matter of changing gears, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And figuring out how to do it properly. Like, I think that's the right approach of like, the, the audience is not visible. The audience does not have a microphone. Yeah. The performers can have a microphone. Because like, whoever has the microphone has the power. That's a big yeah. thing with stand-up. Like, you're never going to hand an audience member the, the microphone. That's no. never going to happen. You never let that microphone leave your hands. Uh, but I think having the other performers laughing, well, I think that that's one way that we as stand-ups could probably learn a lot from improvisers. Yes. Well, like, yeah. improvisers stick around and be your audience. When improvisers are on stage, if they're not in a scene, they're the audience for that scene. They're part of it. They're laughing. Yeah. So it's just us sticking around, watching the rest of the show, and laughing generously. Yeah. Now, um, I'm totally stealing this question from Joe Vu's interview with okay. you from a while ago. Now, you had said your comedy was a turtle. Is it still a turtle, or is it transformed into a different animal? <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, what animal is my stand-up? Yeah, maybe it's not a turtle. Maybe it's like a rabbit. I can see that. I can see it's fluffy and, and bouncy. Yeah, it's, like a, it's like a little bit warm and fuzzy, um, you know, but uh, it's got some power in those legs. <laughs> <laughs> it, can go, it can get going when it wants it to. Jump, it can run. Uh, now um i've asked this pretty much everybody i've sat down with um where, what is your sort of weirdest performance experience so i know we talked about like your like cool ones and stuff but like like yeah. for example like courtney gilmore talked about doing a nude performing on a nude beach kind of thing so mm -hmm. like do you have like any experience where it's like this is the strangest room that i have ever performed in or the strangest performance oh absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely um this my like I don't see how I could do a gig that would be weirder than this. Like maybe that'll happen at some point. Um, but this was the weird, the weirdest night I've ever had in comedy. Um, it was me and Leonard Chan, mm -hmm. uh, who's also a great comedian by his album. Um, and <laughs> uh, me and Leonard Chan were doing this corporate gig. So corporate gigs are any private stand-up show that you get booked to do. Uh, so that could be for a company, you know, for their like Christmas party. Um, it could be a private party, like anywhere that you're being booked uh, for a private event um, directly by the person who runs that event, uh, that, and it's not at a comedy club. Those are corporates. So uh, we were doing this corporate gig, which was a private party for a guy's birthday. It was his 65th birthday, and it was his best friend was hosting the party, and he booked us uh, to do this gig. So what he wants from us was uh i guess him and this this other guy the guy's birthday it was i guess that they've been friends since they were kids and mm -hmm. on uh significant birthdays they would pull pranks on each other oh <laughs> um and uh which like clear both of these guys had money and most of the pranks sounded like them just leaving statues on each other's lawns <laughs> um <laughs> but in any case what this guy wanted for this significant birthday of his friend was for us to pretend that we work at the restaurant that this party was being held at. Mm -hmm. um, what we were told was that uh, the party's going to be like 16 people. It's going to be in a private room at this restaurant. So he wanted me and Leonard to pretend that we work at the restaurant and to mess with the guy. <laughs> that was the instruction that we were given. And then, uh, and then do stand up. Okay. So, 
uh, it's already weird. Yeah. But we're so like, you're going okay. in on, on like a, an unusual footing already, right? In yeah. the gate. Um, so we asked the guy like, okay, can you give us like some information about this friend? Um, and what we were told is like, uh, oh, he's like a high up at this company. So like, uh, he really likes to be in charge. Like he likes to be the one making decisions mm -hmm. and stuff. And we're like, okay. And then he's like, he's also like a, a real nerd about wine. He's like very <laughs> into wine. Um, so like maybe one, maybe you guys could be sommeliers and like mess with him with the wine. So we're told this guy, like, uh, the impression that we're getting is like, all right, this is an alpha guy who likes mm -hmm. to be in charge, like wants to command the room. Um, and it, he's picky and especially about wine. And we're like, okay, like we can sort of work with this. So we had all of these things planned for like, okay, like we'll be, uh, Leonard will be the sommelier and I'm the sommelier in training. And we planned all these, these gags for Leonard to like make little asides to me, like when he's recommending the wine point to the most expensive one and be like this one here and then turn to me and be like when you're recommending wine you always want to recommend the most expensive one on the menu like, <laughs> like, like a little insider thing that and we we had all of these gags planned which were pretty funny if it, like in an honesty and then we show up at the gig and it is 100% absolutely nothing like what we were told it was going to be first of all it isn't a restaurant but we're not in a private room oh no we're not in a private room we're right in the middle of the restaurant in just an open section where there are like other tables all around us yeah um and like i t i talked to the management and i was like oh are you going to be seating these tables like around our party and he was like yes yes and i was like do you know what we're going to be doing like uh and it's kind of like you might want to tell people like even just so they know that we don't actually work here yeah <laughs> right like just like why why is cracking sommeliers <laughs> and they were like not concerned they were like no no it's fine it's fine and then uh, we were like oh, okay so we've got to do this in front of the whole restaurant also uh there was no stage light or mic microphone um so uh i'll get to the stand-up part of it in a moment <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we're, we're pretending to be sommeliers. Um, we're also told that, uh, everybody at the party except for the birthday guy are in on the joke. They all know what's going to happen, that you're messing with him and then you're doing stand-up. So, uh, we're pretending to be sommeliers. First of all, the guy is, like, the warmest, nicest, like, sweetest guy in the world. Um, so easygoing, like, hmm. not an, like, a big macho alpha guy at all, the impression that we had of him. He's just so warm and sweet. We come over, we're like, hi, like, uh, we're the sommeliers, blah, blah, blah. Like, I understand you'll be picking the wine this evening. And he was like, oh, like, I trust you, whatever you think is best. Like, oh, no. Totally, like, and that would be, if we were real sommeliers, that would be the end of that interaction, right? Yeah. So we're like, oh, no, like, <laughs> we have to stretch this along with so we're like trying to force our way into interacting with him more and he's sort of like this is weird like <laughs> but it's not irritating enough to be like oh i'm being pranked right now yeah it, it was just awkward um so we just went totally weird with it we're telling them like leonard said like oh like in addition to smelling the wine and tasting it you also want to listen to the sound of the wine <laughs> sound differently and he's like holding the glass up and makes everybody else like hold their glass up to their ear and stuff and uh yeah it was just like 
it was super weird. And then when finally the guy reveals, like, ha, ah, surprise, like, uh, they're actually comedians. Half of the table is like, ha ha, like, like we got you. And the other <laughs> half of the table is like, oh. <laughs> they so didn't know. They did not know, uh, like we had been told. And, and then he's like, and now they're going to do stand-up. And then we had to do stand-up, which, first of all, half of these people didn't know there was going to be stand-up. Um, mm. They're at a birthday party, and they're all interested in talking to each other. They don't want to listen to stand-up. Yeah. They're entertaining each other. They don't need us. Um, also, because we're in the middle of just a busy restaurant um, with no microphone or anything, we're just standing in front of this table shouting our jokes because oh. it's loud. Yeah. So we're just shouting our jokes over the point <laughs> of this table. And the guy who hired us just looked so unbelievably angry the entire time. Like, I think that it was like, he didn't realize that he had created the worst possible environment for stand-up comedy. And yeah. so he was, and he, it had been his idea and he organized this party. So I think he was just feeling like, oh no, I hope people are enjoying this because like, this is going to come down on me. And he didn't feel like they were. Yeah. Um, yeah. Afterwards, everybody had had a great time, and the birthday guy was very happy, and everything was fine, and that guy loosened up, but he just looked so angry the whole time we were performing, and it was so uncomfortable, and uh, like, <laughs> we finished, and me and Leonard were just like, let's get the fuck out of here as fast as we can. <laughs> <laughs> Corporate gigs are hard at the best of times. Yeah. Like those, that's, like, that's like a Ooh. nightmare story. Like that, if you ever do like a sitcom, has to be in an episode there absolutely yeah. oh my god it was the strangest night if people wanted to find you online um love is everywhere the podcast absolutely check out the podcast uh it is available wherever you get your podcasts yeah. um itunes spotify stitcher google play all, uh, all of your podcast needs yeah <laughs> all of your podcast needs will be fulfilled there so search for love is everywhere um and then if you want to follow me on social media stuff uh, you can find me at at Hameltrace. Um, mostly pictures of my dog on the Instagram. Yeah. And they're very cute pictures. They're very, very cute pictures. Very cute dog. Yes. I can't awesome. be credited as a photographer. <laughs> well, you know, the, the model is so adorable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tracy. Well, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for listening to Comedy Album Book Club. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. 
Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.